0: Welcome to Squawk. My name is Luke Betzner. I'll be your host. And Squawk, if you didn't already know what that is, is student questions at Calvary College. And my guest today is Dr. Brian Nixon. And so we're going to be doing something a little bit different than we did on our last podcast, which was to discuss what happens to me when I die. Well, we talked about what does it mean? What are the different views? So if you haven't heard that one, definitely go back and check it out. But what we're going to do today, I had so many questions that I gathered from students that I had to complete a list. We're going to do sort of a roulette, and I'm going to roll a die. You may or may not hear it. It's going to determine which of these questions we're going to pick, and then Dr. Nixon and I are going to go at it.
1: Now, does that mean, Luke, we get to squawk about this question? Absolutely. We're squawkers.
0: I wonder what kind of bird
1: officially has the squawk, you know, but there's bird sounds and some of them squawk and some of them squeal and all these things. I'm going to investigate that and see what kind of bird we are as squawkers. Uh,
0: that's a, that's a really good question. Cause I actually ran into that when I was creating the initial bumper for this program and I tried to go with a macaw and it just didn't, it didn't do it for me. So I had to go with, believe it or not, a very run of the mill crow. Yeah.
1: I think I think you're right. I think crows do squawk, but I don't want to be a crow. But anyway, <laughs> let's let's get. I was hoping for something elegant, like you know, a red tail hawk or something else of that nature. But right.
0: all that aside, let's get to the dice. Absolutely. So students have squawked at us, and we're going to squawk back. That's right. So the inimitable die roll here see what we get oh the lovely die there it's spinning it's spinning all right and it looks like it came up a four ah this was an interesting thing i when i was gathering the questions i was actually quite impressed and these came from people in the age demographic between 18 and 30 that are interested in college pursuits and i was impressed by the questions they asked this is one of the ones i was impressed by they said who is the woman or what is the identity of the woman in Revelation 12?
1: Oh, boy. The old identity of the woman in Revelation 12. Now, when we get to that and we tackle this question, and by the way, for our listeners, Luke and I do not pre-plan. We tackle them as real life, on the air, spur of the moment. So, there's no, there's no preparation on on these, but let me just say, Revelation twelve, the woman in Revelation twelve has had controversy throughout nice. throughout the, the centuries. Um, you know, who is this woman that rides a dragon or rides the beast? And let me just say, like kind of like we did last time, Luke, uh, I'll start off by giving the big picture you know Perfect. what 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 some people you know view or who they view this this woman to be and then we could dig a little deeper like we did last time so historically there's been some different views of that and when i mean historically i mean let's say the early early church and for the most part we would have to say that most of the early church, we're talking within the first two to three hundred years of the church, believed in what we would call a pre-millennial eschatology. Sure. So they believed that there's a thousand year reign um, when, when Christ comes to establish the millennial kingdom. wasn't till after Augustine. Where we get this idea of a post-millennial eschatology that things are just gradually getting, you know, better and better and better, and then you know Christ is going to come and establish his his rule and reign, and not to mention amillennialism, which which we're not tackling here. But I I position that and tell our listeners that is because though we don't have a clear, concise understanding of how all in the early church viewed the woman who rides the beast we can i think confidently say that a a a good portion of believers would have taken as i've already mentioned a pre-millennial view so
0: just one thing if i may interject please Um, in in the beginning of revelation 12 you have perhaps what some have differentiated as a different woman. So it may not be the woman who rides the beast. That's exactly uh, right. According to the text.
1: You just stole my, my thunder because I no, and I'm glad you did because I was going to say the first dilemma is that there's different viewpoints of this and it all is historically based. The second dilemma you just, you just tackled and that is, are we talking about one or two women? So, there are some, you know, difficulties with this, B- but let me just say that the the early church probably had, you know, this this premillennial um, understanding of um, of revelation. So with that, we definitely know that they wouldn't have interpreted it as later reformers did as to the Roman Catholic Church or Mary or something else of that nature, which we could, we could um, uh, uh, tackle. But we probably would just say they settled on this idea that this isn't a future person, woman, who's going to be uh, doing this. Um, Now, all that said and done, I think it would be wise for us to read some of the text. And I have it here before me, and this is I'm just reading it for clarity's sake from the new international version, though we usually encourage new King James Version, you know, um, and such. But let me just set the tone for our listeners. This is Revelation 12. A great sign appeared in heaven: a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so it might devour her child the moment he was born she gave birth to a son a male child who will rule all nations with an iron scepter and her child was snatched up to god and to his throne the woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by god where she might be taken care of for 1260 days very specific now we would have to go down um and and you you know talk about uh you know, the other plausible women. But what's interesting is when you go down to verse 13, it says, When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times and a half a time, out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth, from the serpent, spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed of its mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage a war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. So... (coughs) Why I read all of that is not only to, because we're a textual community, we always bring things back to the text, but we had to really set the tenor of, of this conversation by reading, reading the Scripture. And I think just a couple of general thoughts as we approach this. Clearly, in Revelation 12, the serpent, who we would say historically and biblically represents Satan. Is at odds against this particular woman. So this woman, without revealing or delving into who we think she is at this point, what we could say is she's at odds with the serpent. The serpent is out to get her, and she's keeping her, you know, her, her, her distance from from this serpent. So um, that is what we would just clearly get upon a cursory first reading. Luke, what what what, what are you thinking at this point?
0: So I, I think that that's an excellent foundation to start with, of course, because we're talking about something that's very interesting in Scripture and having the context is essential. So the thing that I would throw out there is, again, not to state the obvious, but in being mindful of you, our listener, I want to pose a couple of questions to make sure that things that may be obvious to some are obvious to everybody. And that is in prophecy, it would seem, and let me know if you agree on this, Brian, Mm -hmm. um, this is not a literal woman, but rather a prophetic symbol, perhaps a personification based on what we see with the the way the literature, if we look in verse 19 of the previous chapter, it says, And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. And then in that context, these signs appear in heaven. Mm-hmm. So it appears that, since we already know that John starts out the book of Revelation saying, I was in the spirit on the day of the Lord. He's looking at various symbols and signs, and sometimes they appear to be literal people, and other times it appears to be symbols from which literal events can be understood. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, how do you view that? I I see that as a perhaps a prophetic symbol that's packed with a lot of meaning that we can sort of unpack.
1: Yeah. Unquestionably, you know, you, we have to say that it's symbolic in that I think there's a definitive meaning referencing something specific, but as you said, it comes with a lot of, of meaning that, that symbol. So, so yes, I would agree with you that it is broader and larger than just, um, uh, you know, let's just call a surface, a, a surface, um, understanding, but keep going.
0: So the question might be not just who might the woman be, but more so who does she represent? Or mm-hmm. more importantly, maybe what does she represent? Is it mm-hmm. a who or is it a what? And does the passage supply enough information to give us the identity of the Personification right here in this context. We know that there's the devil, um, which we presume is personified or symbolized really all throughout scripture the old serpent, the dragon, etc. So there's some kind of distance that's happening, as you pointed out, between this particular woman and the construct that's being put forth, at least the forces of evil or forces that are being controlled by something or someone who is evil.
1: Yeah. Now, let me say, and I think we've done a great job at establishing the foundation. We've read the text. We've said the obvious, this person is against the serpent, Satan. So, generally, historically, I think it comes down to two major interpretations, depending on where you stand within the Christian tradition. One, the Roman Catholics like to interpret this woman as the Virgin Mary. And I would say most Protestants liked to view this woman as the church, a, a general, a, a broad, more symbolic rendering of of the term. Uh, there is, there is a, a third grouping that in, have a little bit more specificity Saying that it's it's a representative person within the church, um, you know, at that point. Now, as I s- pointed out at the top of this broadcast, you know, in the early church, because it was it was premillennial, historic premillennial in its its eschatology, would they have understood it as the Virgin Mary? And, you know, we do know that that Mary did have a strong role, particularly starting in the 300s. So, you know, this idea of Mary as, you know, the mother of God really started to take root. So it's a possibility that, that the early, early church understood it as Mary. But I think also there's the, the possibility that many in the early church saw it as Mary you know, the church. But what we do get through the Middle Ages is the Roman Catholic Church tended to definitely right. define it as the Virgin Mary. And later on, Protestants started to definitely define it not as the Virgin Mary, but more as a type for the church. So that's where we get in the big historical picture. So so unpack a little bit more, Luke, of what sure. you were saying.
0: So. I definitely agree that those are two big views, and we can see the reasoning behind both of them. And even as the religious conflicts developed through the centuries, why someone may have gravitated more toward one or the other. Uh, I, I want to actually toss out a different view as well.
1: Right. Which, 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 which is Israel
0: is Israel, right. and it's not necessarily completely separate from the other two, mm-hmm. it sort of combines both mm-hmm. elements. Right, And it, it is an interesting thing where it's probably, as it is even for us with prophecy, probably very difficult for anyone in the first and right. second centuries to have had sufficient foresight to right. understand what the church would become with Israel not even being uh, a nation, really. Right. The destruction of the temple right. 70 AD, all of these things right. happened. It's like, well, who is this? That's right? exactly
1: right. That's why I saved it. You know, I I didn't address it in those first two because I think historically you would have had the Catholic Church seeing it as the, the Virgin Mary. You had early Protestants viewing it as the church. But at that point, for all intents and purposes, Israel was, it was, it was, it was, A I don't want yeah, it was, it wasn't there. Yeah. So for them, it was like, uh, you know, blah, blah. But it wasn't until after let's say the 1930s, specifically 1948, when Israel became a nation, that others started to view this her as the nation of Israel. So that would complete the three-pronged way of viewing Revelation 12. But keep going, unpacking what you were saying.
0: So it, very very interesting, and I haven't looked into this, but this would be a secondary question for any of you out there brave enough to undertake this, but perhaps even consulting the, uh, since the Jews generally avoided New Testament apocalyptic literature, but finding information within the Jewish community in their own view, their own apocalyptic view, as to whether or not there were any dynamics that matched this. Because even though the world did not consider The Jewish people, a nation, they maintained a solidarity in every nation that they went to that is nothing beyond, I mean, it's it's nothing but miraculous. And in fact, it is their continuity, particularly Mm -hmm. during their dispersions of uh, pre and immediately post-Holocaust, it was the solidarity of their community that made one of the biggest arguments for them being able to be given the land and to be able to build a nation Mm -hmm. because they continued to practice all of the internal structures that were necessary for them to be a nation, despite the fact that they were completely uh, suffering from discontinuity all over many, many nations. So again, for those of you brave enough to look into that, more power to you. We're going to jump right back into this. I don't want to get too far in the weeds on that. The, The thing that I find interesting here, Brian, is that it immediately, in verse 1, says that she had upon her head a crown of 12 stars. Right. And when I think about you know the Virgin Mary, I know some would say, possibly taking from the, the section of Jesus' parables where the woman's looking for the lost coin, mm-hmm. that there was a tradition where they would wear a headdress of a certain type, sort of a band that had 10 coins mm-hmm. normally that were a sign of their virginity. And this is why in some people's estimation, she swept the whole house looking for it because one of those coins right. had been lost. And so it's like, well, we have a dichotomy there between 10 and 12. Wh- what do you think about, you know, is this a symbol or is this something that um, could possibly represent the 12 tribes of Israel?
1: Yeah, I definitely, you know, the similarity there is, I, you know, in looking at the church, Mary, and Israel, there are key phrases, and this is being one. So there is a similarity between the, you know, the twelve stars and what Joseph gave of his father Jacob and the mother of their children. The twelve stars referred to the twelve tribes of Israel. Mm. So so when we start unpacking this and looking at the deeper symbolism of this. You begin to start saying, well, Mary, it may sound good on, on, on at the beginning, but let's start looking at all the symbols that are included in the interpretation of the text. And then you do start leaning. And the 12 stars is one, because that goes back to Genesis 37, 9, yes. where, you, you know, they are given 12 stars to refer to the 12 tribes of Israel. So you would begin to conclude that the woman in Revelation 12 is Israel from some of these key, you know, symbolic passages.
0: And that, that's a great point because that's the hermeneutic idea of first mention, right, where you mm-hmm. have a type that's already been set, it's a vision, and it's used very similarly to represent this. The next thing I wanted to point out here is, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this, it says she's being with child. And so as we talked about this third view that may have only recently emerged, relatively recently mm-hmm. emerged, um, Mary does not necessarily have to be so completely differentiated from Israel as to not be considered part of the identity. If, right. if we recall, of course, she gives birth to Christ in the city of David. She herself is in that li- that lineage. right? And so there's no point at which you have a Mary – who is in some way not representative of Israel. Right. And so at that point, if, if that's the case, we have a possibility to include the Virgin Mary as, I don't want to overuse the word representative, but at least the vessel by which this child is born and clearly something who was, uh, he, she's delivering to Israel the hope of Israel, as right. we find in the prophecy right. of Simeon what What are your thoughts on that being a possible? Yeah
1: idea? well, it's definitely possible. You know, it's true that Mary gave birth to Jesus, but it's also true that Israel, in in a in a symbolic sense, gave birth to to Christ as well. So in a sense, Israel gave birth to or brought forth, you know, Christ um just as Mary brought forth Christ. so, If we're trying to interpret Revelation 12, you know, not only textually, letting the text, but also following the leads, the symbolic leads back, and we talked about the 12 stars going back to, uh, you know, Genesis. We could also say that symbolically Israel gave birth to Christ just as Mary gave birth to Christ. He was born. So in the the parallel sense, in a modern sense, you know, I was born in you know my mother gave birth to me, but you know I was born in America. So America, you know, I'm I'm an American. I I, I was birthed as American, and even more specifically, I was born in California. And so California, and mm-hmm. even more specifically, Los Angeles County. You you get the point. Yeah. So it's not it's not a far reach for us to to kind of look at it as Israel giving birth, which would then go back to the third interpretation that Israel is the woman here. But again, there are many, many others in in history and contemporary who would say, no, this is specifically talking about Mary. So, you know, I still think, um, you know, there's enough symbols in this, clues, that would really point more towards Israel than than the, the first two.
0: I completely agree, and I think I like the juxtaposition there because even though Israel could be being said to be giving birth through Mary, Mm -hmm. you have a merging of the symbol in the fulfillment of the birth of Christ, and yet you still have a unique identity where it doesn't necessitate that Mary is the woman, but rather that Mary is, as part of that symbol, fulfilling the role of Israel in prophecy, which was to bring forth the Redeemer. Yeah, and I think where
1: where a lot of commentators throughout history leading up to today, you know, go back and forth on this is because I don't think any commentators question whether or not the person she gives a birth to is Jesus. I think most people clearly understand that this verse, this passage, is describing Jesus. Um, you know, because verse 5 says that the woman's child was a male child who will rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. These are all attributes, all, all characteristics yes. of Jesus. So you can step back and go, ah, oh, boy, I, I see, because Mary gave birth to Jesus, but so too did Israel. So, it, it, you know, you could see why some people – um, struggle with with this verse.
0: Absolutely. And I, I think the Messianic references there are very true of Christ. I don't know that there's really a lot of other people that we could point to that, you know, maybe they were tyrants or rulers, but that's like if we look at Isaiah 2 and it talks about the reign of Christ and what that's going to look like, he's going to reprove many people. We have other verses in Isaiah. right? Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel uh, the government's going to rest upon his shoulder. There's clearly something there, and then the last part there that he is going to be caught up to the throne of God. Yeah, um, you know, even if we were to look at some of the the other great leaders in Israel's history, we don't see a similarity in the dynamics happening because, quite frankly, even from the time that Israel was experiencing here prior, to, you know around 70 AD, 1st, 2nd century, there was no countenance of anyone ruling. There Mm -hmm. certainly wasn't any countenance of that for even a number of centuries prior, not to any great degree to the Roman occupation. Mm -hmm. And then there were previous occupations before that. So it's like, well, where exactly is this talking about? This inevitably pushes us toward a futurist view Mm -hmm. of revelation, which Mm -hmm. in my opinion is, and also... Uh, it is the official position of the of the college and the church that we take a generally futurist mm-hmm. view of Revelation, mm-hmm. and so that checks that yeah. box as well.
1: Yeah, and I think there's some other in, in interesting clues in in Revelation 12, and one of them is the specificity of the flight of the women into the wilderness. It says it's 1,260 days. You mm. go, well, that's weird. W- why so specific? Well. That interestingly enough refers to what we know as futurists—the Great Tribulation. Twelve hundred sixty days is forty-two months, thirty days each, which is the same as three and a half years. Right. And so that that connotation between the the specific days of one thousand two hundred sixty with the three and a half years also points to the fact that this person, this woman. Has more of a symbolic notion, aka Israel or aka the Church, rather than a specific person as Mary, yes, because point. because then you scratch your head and go, okay. Um, so Mary gave birth to Jesus. Uh, where did she, where where did she run off to for one thousand two hundred sixty days? Now some people try to overread and they say, well, she took off to you know. Uh, down Egypt. to Egypt and and so on and so forth. But we don't really have the specificity of that. Whereas if you look at the futurist standpoint and you compare that with segments in Daniel and others, it could become very specific of going, wow, this is a futurist position talking about a specific time frame, aka three and a half years that correspond perfectly to the tribulation period. So the futurist position as Israel being represented as the woman becomes more and more tenable, plausible than, let's say, because then you scratch your head, as I said, with Mary, what does all that mean? You know, again, some interpreter is going to Egypt, but it's not as clearly delineated.
0: Exactly right. I think that as we dig into it more, just one of the points you made from the beginning, there are so many tangent points between known biblical symbols, known biblical identities. Right. And, and here's, here's the other thing that I'm not going to ride a hobby horse on this, but I would say that even though there are mysteries in the Bible and there are symbols in the Bible, mm-hmm. the Bible was given, you know, this, the, the name of the current book we're in notwithstanding to reveal truth. Mm -hmm. And even though in its revelation it often will still have some element of obscurity, it doesn't create things out of whole cloth that never existed in any other context in the Bible, particularly when it comes to prophecy. There is a cantilevered building that has been being built from the very beginning if we follow even the testimony of Christ himself. And so if we take that as our assumption, then when we're looking at passages like this, it does put some guardrails on our imaginations that are healthy that keep us in context and keep us trying to go back into the past of right. established hermeneutic and bring it into what right. we're looking at
1: yeah and and I know we' we're, we're wrapping up here trying to keep our program in, in you, you know within a half hour for our listeners but I think you just you just really you just described it perfectly. We have to allow first of all scripture interprets scripture. And allow scripture to lead us to the proper conclusions and the proper hermeneutic. And as you pointed out, there are already the symbols that have been suggested elsewhere in scripture. And therefore we have to attach ourselves to those symbols, try to understand what those mean in order to understand something as, you know, fairly complex. And again, what makes Revelation 12 complex is because, you know, of Israel. You know, like we said, you know, during the Middle Ages, there wasn't Israel as we know it. They called it like Palestine, you know, up even the Reformation, there was no Israel as we know it today. So they were interpreting it in the context of what they understood. So, you know, largely Mary, then Reformation comes, no, this is the church. And then Israel starts to take shape. And then 1948 happens. And then you go, oh, and then we have the hindsight of going back and rereading that passage and saying huh the symbols really do seem to indicate and point back to not necessarily the virgin mary or the church necessarily but to israel i don't know if we've solved the the issue because there's still people who would disagree with us but i think we have i think a strong hermeneutic to suggest that it is definitely israel and I think that would be, you know, the position of, you know, Calvary College and, you know, most of the people who are, are, you know, associated with it.
0: Absolutely. I, I really appreciated this discussion. The thing about Revelation that's exciting, I think, and to have a student ask a question like this, number one, but number two, the exciting thing about Revelation is because it hasn't all happened yet. That there may be blind spots in our own understanding that are going to be filled in if the Lord tarries as additional cultural and current events come in that can add to our current knowledge of biblical symbols and things that are happening. So that's an exciting thing. And uh, so definitely grateful for this question, grateful for the discussion, absolutely enjoyed it. And folks, if you have additional questions, like I said, I've already gathered a number of them and we're going to continue to gather them. If you have more questions for us and you want to squawk at us so we can squawk back, Write us at calvary.college at calvaryabq.org. And we will be glad to take your questions there. Again, that's calvary.college at calvaryabq.org. And until next time, God bless and thank you for listening.